For those of you visiting uh, with us this morning, uh, my name is Jerry Webb. I am not the senior pastor. Our pastor, Jerry Witham, is out this week. So uh, perhaps this is not the Jerry you were looking for. Uh, and if you are visiting with us, hopefully you'll come back to hear the other Jerry. Um, to start off with, I think I need to tell you a story to help put things into perspective. Uh, if you're in my life group, you know that I like stories. I think that we can learn much from stories. Uh, and indeed, if you look at much of the Bible, the Bible is stories. So as we look at this particular um, story that I'm about to tell you, let's view it in perspective, because that's what this passage is about. It's about perspective. It's about God's perspective on our culture. Um, when I was in college, I went to college in the beautiful city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's a lovely little city in a valley surrounded by mountains like Signal Mountain and Lookout Mountain. And if you're a student of history, you will perhaps know that those mountains and indeed that entire area was the, was the, the spot of several Civil War battles. And it's very appropriate as we look at our culture and the battles that we as Christians face uh, in that culture. Um, when I was there in Chattanooga as a poor college student, um, by the way, I, I knew very little uh, wealthy college students. There were one or two, but by and large, most of them were like me. Um, and I had a friend, Dwayne, and Dwayne and I had a landscaping business. That was one of the, the several endeavors that he and I had together. But we worked for several of the people that actually had houses on the mountains. They were the well-to-do individuals of the Chattanooga community. And we went to work on this, uh, on this one Saturday uh, for this, this one gentleman that had an amazing property. It probably spanned about three football fields in size. It was huge. The front yard, and then the house, and then the pool behind the house. And then there was a, a slope that kind of sloped down gently uh, at about 45 degrees. Try mowing that. Uh, it's not easy. Um, and then all of that was about the size of a football field. And then the side yard was open yard. And it was the size of a football field. And then there was an entire length down the mountainside that was huge. And it was all forested. So we get there one beautiful Saturday morning, and Dwayne and I uh, are taken uh, by the gentleman of the house back to the, the pool area. And he had us look down towards the, the mountain. And he put his hand on our shoulders and said, Boys, what do you see? And we knew something was up, but we didn't quite know what. So finally, I just said, well, I see the Tennessee River. And he said, that's right. And isn't that a beautiful view? Well, yes, sir, of course. That's a, that's a wonderful view. And he said, it is. But there's a problem. You see that little tree down the mountain sticking its way up with the top branches blocking my view of the river. Oh, yes, sir, we do. So he said, boys, I want you to get rid of that tree. 
So we get down the mountain with our little chainsaw, and uh, we discover that the tree is growing out of this little mini gorge. Uh, it's a, a cut through the mountain that's about 15 feet deep with kind of sheer sides, so we had to climb down. And we get down there, and we cut this tree down, and we're all proud of ourselves, and uh, think, wow, that was easier than we thought. Then we got back up to the house and look back down the mountain. We cut down the wrong tree. <laughs> it took us three trees. And then, as if that weren't difficult enough, they said, boys, I hate to see all that good firewood going to waste. So back down the mountain we went with chainsaw in hand and ropes so we figured the best way to do it was to go down into that little gorge, cut up the, the little sections of wood, and then tie ropes to them and haul them up the mountain that way. So there I was with a, a little coil of rope around my shoulder about to climb down this little mini gorge, and then my foot slipped. And down I went, and the rope caught me before I fell. Now, from my perspective... I was terrified because I knew that I would be at least seriously injured if I hit the rocks below. And my buddy Dwayne, from his perspective, he was laughing like crazy because he thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. <laughs> the whole story is about perspective. And as we look at this passage, um, I think we need to keep in mind that this is God's perspective on our culture. It, particularly, it was God's perspective on the culture there in the city of Corinth back in the first century. And we can use elements of that. Um, let's look here in verses 2 and 3. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. And we're going to stop there for just a moment, because we need to understand that the relationship between man and woman that God is talking about right here uh, through Paul is the relationship between a man and his wife. Um, and he goes further, in verse 4, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Now, I don't know about you, but I can look around the room and I don't see any bald-headed women, and that's probably a good thing. But neither do I see anyone that's got her head covered with perhaps a shawl or a scarf or even a hat. Um, hair and head coverings, what does it all mean? Actually, what Paul is, is trying to get to the church in Corinth is it's not necessarily as much about hair as it is recognizing God's authority. And God has authority not just over man and woman, but God has authority over the church. God has authority over marriage. And we need to keep in perspective what uh, 
that authority is. Paul writes a, a, a similar passage to the church in Ephesus. Uh, so if we look in Ephesians 5, um, verses 21 through 33, it talks about the lordship of Christ over the church as well as that husband and wife relationship. In verse 21, it says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. He's talking to a married couple again. Be subject to one another. It's co-mutual. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. By the way, I'm going to stop here. Um, This is for the husband's. Um, guys, your wife is not your doormat. Um, <laughs> I don't know of any husband that treats uh, their wife in this uh, auditorium that way, but it's a gentle reminder. We are co-inheritors of the gospel, uh, according to Paul here. Um, but just like the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Now, to the husbands, he says, love your wives. And that word for love is that that Greek word agape. It is that self-sacrificial love. And Paul explains that by going further. Um, Husbands, love your wife just like Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. In other words, Paul is commanding husbands to put their wives as a priority in that relationship, to have that self-sacrificial relationship that he is the protector. He is the one that cherishes her. Uh, He is the one that loves her with every part of his being. And then verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, the husband's supposed to be in charge spiritually as well, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Um, we're going to pause here again. I told um, the, the 9 o'clock teaching hour, uh, the, the folks in there, that uh, I have this tendency to, to, to pause periodically, and my life group can attest to that. We just finished the, the book of Titus. Uh, Titus, some of you know, is a very small book. It's got just three chapters. It took us two years um, well, I've, I've got 15 verses, so uh, do the math. <laughs> uh, but in, in verse 30, uh, we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband now when we get back to the passage in first corinthians it's very similar 
uh, in terms of the authority structure. You've got God as the head. You've, you've got that, that triune Godhead of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They each have their own roles. Um, in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, we also see that Christ had his own role in the Godhead, that triune Godhead. Uh, it didn't, neither Father, Son, or Holy Spirit had any lesser position or any lesser role. They just each had their different roles and duties and responsibilities. Colossians 1.15 said, He, being Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created. Jesus is Lord of all of creation, and that includes us. Um, For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, and all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. By the way, the church is not this building. The church are folks like me and you and you and and every one of us in here who claims Christ as our Lord and Savior. Um, That that very word that we translate as church, uh, that Greek word, ekklesia, means the ones who have been called out. We have been called to separate ourselves out of our culture and into the culture of the kingdom of heaven. That's who the church is. We're the ones who have been called out. Um, If you look at the passage in 1 Corinthians, it talks a lot about hair and head coverings. And like we mentioned before, it's not necessarily about hair. Um, we see uh, a lot of uh, Christian sects that still have uh, women that wear the little lace caps on their heads. In fact, one of my favorite places to to go is down in East Texas when we go visit my mom. There is a little store uh, run by some Mennonite families, and they have little farms in the area and uh, in those little farms, they have uh, their, their little animals and they produce dairy items that are amazing. And you just cannot get butter and cream cheese like that in stores up here. It is just stunning in what you can find there. And yet, the, the folks that run it are that very ultra conservative and ultra-traditional where the, the women have their little lace head coverings on and uh, the men have their, their beards and you know it's, uh, it's almost Amish but uh, not quite but you know, they have very different beliefs when it comes to this passage uh, additionally uh, when I was growing up 
you know, I would, you know, typical little monster, I would come into church at a full gallop, uh, and I'd have my little ball cap on, and my grandmother would always snatch it off my head. Son, don't you know you don't have your hat on in church? Well, again, it's part of that, this very passage. Um, but we can't confuse culture, hair, or head coverings with the actual intent of what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying here, we have to have authority in mind when it comes to our proper relationships with each other and with God. And God is the head over every man, uh, and every man is the head over his wife. So Paul talks a lot about this, and then in verse 14 he says, doesn't even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for every hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. So what Paul is really talking about is a cultural disconnect that we can't see because we're not in first century Corinth. The Corinthians had temples dedicated to the goddess Artemis. And one of the, the things with those temples is they had temple priestesses who would shave their heads. There was some gender confusion there. And we, we see today in our own culture that, that gender confusion that many people have, uh, that, that gender identity issues keep popping out. And we have to be on guard uh, to maintain that proper perspective about what gender truly is. Um, but we also have to look at things in terms of uh, position. Yeah, because, uh, like I said before, the, the wife is uh, to be subject with the, the husband or to the husband, but it's not a doormat situation. It's a mutually loving, cherishing environment. So we're talking basically about propriety in worship. So when we come together to worship, we need to be appropriately dressed um, and I know some of this is hard to hear, but uh, uh, the gender rules that we have in our culture are very different, and the gender rules that we have within our Christian culture are different from that of the, the general culture at large. Um, but the, the key is appropriateness. Um, to look at this a little further, we need to go all the way back to creation uh, and Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. We can see that man and woman were both created separately and uniquely different. And God saw that the difference was good. Uh, in verse 26 of Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them, man, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. 
in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, many, many of us know what happened after creation. God said, I put you in this beautiful garden. It's got all of these uh, berry patches and uh, there, there's probably peaches here and apples and watermelons and all of this good stuff to eat. And you can eat any of the fruits except for this one tree, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what did, uh, what did they do? They ate of that tree. And subsequently, they fell, and all of creation fell with them. And because of that, we have a sin nature that follows after every one of us. Now, if any of you doubts that we have that sin nature, even from birth, all it takes is being around a baby uh, for any period of time. Uh, we're blessed to have the most beautiful granddaughter in the whole world. Um, I'm proud to, 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 uh, to say that, and I believe it with all of my heart. Um, but there's a problem. You see, little Miss Sadie Lynn has this propensity for going over to our vertical blinds. And she knows that those vertical blinds are off limits. She knows that she can toddle her way over there and reach out with her hand and then look back at us or her mama and daddy. And then her mama will say, Sadie Lynn, three... Two, and she knows that if she gets to one, it's bad news. You see, all of us have that inherent sin nature where we want to break the rules. And we have to remember that God has an authority structure in place with him at the top. And in a, a marital relationship, the husband is next in command. And, and I hate to put it in terms of next in command because it's more responsibility. Um, as a leader, you seldom give commands. You give a lot of encouragement, but you seldom give commands. Um, and as a husband, I very seldom give my wife a command. Like I really... Um, I, I can't remember the last time I gave a command uh, other than that, that that one dress she wanted to buy was ooh I said honey no please <laughs> that, that's just not you uh, I know my wife's embarrassed now sorry hon uh, but see that that sin nature that besets us now over in Genesis 3, God tells the man and the woman that he's going to put a natural barrier of enmity and anger between the two and a natural desire to kick against that authority structure. 
verse 16 of chapter 3 of Genesis. He says, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply, multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, there's that, that natural barrier now because of our, our fallen sin nature. And we, as, as humans, in our, our natural desires, we desire to resist those authority structures. Um, but, but also, I want us to recognize that we are different as genders. Our genders are different. We truly are. Um, and we need, I think sometimes we need to celebrate those differences and recognize that just because we may be different from one another doesn't mean we're any less or any more than one another. For instance, the U.S. Air Force did a study a few years ago and they really didn't like the results uh, because the results told them that women made much better fighter pilots than men did. Their reaction times are better. They had better capabilities of dealing with high-stress environments. And they, they could just fly better. If you look at, I don't know if you, any of you have uh, what my kids used to call green money. You know, as little kids, they would go to my parents or my aunts and uncles and get nickels, dimes, and quarters. And finally, Caleb one day said, uh, no, Nana, I don't want the white money. I want the green money. Kids will tell you, won't they? But if you look at the green money, one thing you will always find is for the treasurer of the United States, the signature on there is always a woman. Why? Because our founders early on knew that women naturally are better at keeping and spending the money wisely. You see, we're different. We're not equal, but we're equivalent. We're, we're different, and yet we're complementary. Um, and because that there are some of those gender differences we need to look different as well. Just like here in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, we may not use hair or head coverings to highlight those differences, but we do need to look different. Um, I like today where even though I can't grow a really good beard, a, a lot of guys are celebrating that difference with some really great-looking beards. Um, I've never been able to grow a good one. It, it, it's, it's who I am. But I have a good mustache. 
and hopefully the, the, the women of the congregation decide that they're not going to grow mustaches. We need to be different. So, um, as we start to wrap up, I know this is, this is kind of short. You were expecting a, a two-year walk through Titus, but no, this is, uh, is going to be kind of short. I need to uh, give you a couple of uh, what I call the so what moments, where we have gone through the passage and we've looked at the authority structures and we've looked at the, the gender differences, and now we have to ask the question, so what are we going to do about it? Uh, what are we to do going forward? Um, I do have to tell you another story. Um, remember, rebellion against authority is our default setting, right? Um, we, we naturally have that default setting to want to rebel against the rules. Back in college, my friend Dwayne, the one who he and I had the landscaping business, um, Dwayne taught me this game. And... Uh, this particular game is one that I, I really didn't have any natural affinity for. I, I didn't have any of the, the natural physical gifts that went along with greatness at playing this game, but I loved the game nonetheless. That game is tennis. Um, I was terrible at serving, and I couldn't hit a really good serve either. Dwayne had an amazing serve. By the way, he was... Uh, prior to coming to college, he had been the junior men's singles champion for Virginia. So I had a good teacher. So I celebrated the day when I was able to take two whole games in one set from him. He must have been sick or something. Um, but Dwayne taught me the game of tennis. And like any other game, tennis has rules. And those rules include the, the design of a court. You've got a, a court that's laid out. It has lines, and it has a net, and it has rules. Each of those lines means something, and that there are rules associated with each of those lines and with the net. And there are also uh, personal behavior rules associated with the game of tennis. Now, on this one particular day, I was playing someone else, and I was getting beating. I was getting beat. And I sadly chose to defy one of those personal behavior rules. Um, I was playing against a guy named Tom. And I had hit a volley. And Tom was charging the net. And I knew that unless I did something drastic, Tom was going to win the point and win the game. So I decided to break that rule by aiming the ball right at him and hitting it hard. And Tom never would play with me again. He, he dropped his racket and stormed off the court. I mean, all I did was hit him in the, the, the throat with the ball. <laughs> but see, I broke a rule. And we have to, as we go through our day, as we go through our week, as we go through our life, we have to understand that rebellion against the rules is our default setting, and we have to guard against that. And the only way that we can do that is to immerse ourselves in the Word of God and in prayer.
Also, let's remember that regardless of what our role is within culture or in whatever relationships we're in, we have to behave appropriately. Husbands, love your wives. Devote yourselves to them. Wives, submit to the, the, the natural authority of your husbands and cherish him. Be sac- self-sacrificial to one another. Love each other desperately. Um, and fi- uh, we also have to remember that we have to serve Christ in everything. You see, here at the Ridge, we believe that salvation is more than just a belief in Jesus. It tells us in the book of James that even the demons believe in Jesus, and they're terrified. They are. Uh, Salvation is more than belief. Salvation is committing our lives and it's making that determination that we are going to follow Christ in everything that we do. Um, always seek God's perspective when we're conflicted by the rules of the culture around us. You see, the, the, the church in Corinth, as we mentioned before, was surrounded by the pagan temples and uh, the pagan priestesses um, we've, we've talked previously uh, about the, the, the food that had been offered to such pagan idols. Uh, and now we're talking about the, the personal appearance that the, the pagan culture had set in those temples. So we need to resist um, um, that, that culture's influence in our lives and remember always to look for God's perspective. And then finally, and this, is a, this is kind of a strange one, being different uh, from the world doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be strange. Um, we don't have to ride around in horse-drawn buggies for the world to realize that there's something different about us. Our behavior in the world should set us apart the kindness and the love that we have for one another, the kindness and love that we have for strangers should set us apart and should get people wondering, what is it about that person that's missing from my life? Now, as we move into a time of uh, reflection and a time of communion, Um, let this time also be one where we can examine our hearts and that we can uh, take a look back at um, our previous week, our previous month, or our previous life um, and ask ourselves, first of all, do I truly follow Jesus with everything that we have? So pray with me, please.